All right, you're back for more. Uh, in part one, we talked about kind of some big picture ideas after me watching both of the conventions to kind of see, here's a theme I'm seeing here that works right in with this millennial in the middle mindset. Keep calm, carry on. If you didn't listen to that, go listen to part one first. Part two, we're gonna talk specifics. We're gonna talk about the Republican National Convention and the event itself. And that's exactly what it was. This was an event. Now, you always are gonna have the advantage when the Republican National Convention comes after the Democratic National Convention. This switches up depending on who the incumbent is. But they just got to watch everything the Democrats did for a week, and now they get to respond. They get to give their rebuttal in a lot of ways in the RNC, which is what happened. Now, if we're just gonna talk entertainment value. If we're just going to talk putting on a show, or as you heard the pundits say all week, stagecraft, as if that was some bad thing. The Republicans won. And not only did they, did they win, they won big time. Uh, and that really shouldn't be a surprise to us because at the end of the day, Donald Trump is a showman. Of all the things Trump likes bragging about. What, is like, what does Trump like to brag about more than anything else? His TV ratings. So you better believe that now given the chance to come up with this first ever virtual, trying to get creative, trying to come up with ways to deliver a good product to the people, the showman, the reality TV star, he outdid the Democratic Party purely when it came to that mentality of stagecraft. They kind of took the show on the road. So for those of you who didn't see it, uh, they had all sorts of different uh, events that were you know, filmed at Lincoln's birthplace. And then Mike Pence spoke from Fort McHenry in Baltimore, the same place that Francis Scott Key penned the Star Spangled Banner. And they went on and did things. And then ultimately, Donald Trump used the backdrop of the White House for his speech. And there were some fireworks. Now, literally, there were some fireworks. I know that in Delaware with the Democratic National Convention, they had this little fireworks show. But you better believe that Donald Trump was going to outdo that. And the fireworks show that was put on after Donald Trump's speech was, you know, amazing and epic. And I don't know how they did it, but they somehow got fireworks to spell out Trump 2020. Like, that's pretty cool. Props to you, Trump. Props to you, Republican Party. You put on a better show than the Democrats. Now, with that said, let's talk a little bit about policy and let's more get into strategy, right? Now, last week, I discussed how I don't feel that coronavirus is a voting issue. I basically said that because everything is coulda, woulda, shoulda, it's really hard for me to go to the poll or go to the ballot box, excuse me, and vote on, I'm going to vote against Trump because I don't think he did very well with this unprecedented coronavirus that we had never seen before. A global pandemic that we'd never really seen anything. And it's like, he should have done this. This could have been better. Therefore, I'm going to vote against him. I told you last week, I didn't like that strategy from the Democratic Party. I didn't like that it was a voting issue going into the two conventions. It wasn't something that was really on my radar when it came to where I was going to vote. But because the Democrats made it not only 
a major voting issue, but like the primary voting issue of how do we get through this pandemic, then the Republican Party had to answer. I think if Trump had it his way, he would completely ignore coronavirus. He wouldn't talk about it. That's how he often faces like these events and things like that. Like, oh, we're kind of social distancing, but no, they're not, right? And so right in night one, the Republicans come swinging back with their response to the COVID argument, which just played for me so perfect as to why I still don't think coronavirus is a voting issue. Because they play this video about how Trump's response to coronavirus was absolutely incredible. The best that could ever happen. That it saved countless lives. That his action was swift and decisive. That he closed down travel to, to China back in February and was called xenophobic, was told, was told he was racist, was told he was doing this. And basically they came out and said, well, Look, everyone else got it wrong. Trump got it right. Of course, they had lots of clips that they showed of Democratic mayors, Bill de Blasio, Andrew Cuomo, uh, Nancy Pelosi, all basically making mistakes or saying at certain times in press conferences, we really appreciate the president's support. We really appreciate how the president has handled this. And we have as many ventilators as we need. We're taken care of. Things are all right. This just proved my point. If you're a Republican, you're going to believe that Trump just crushed his coronavirus response and you should vote for him because of that. If you're a Democrat, you're going to say that Trump totally bungled his response. It was awful. It was pathetic. He didn't handle it in a good way. We are the worst of any major nation out there. And because of that, you vote against Donald Trump. So again, I come back to this point where, to me, it's a wash. Just like last week, I picked on the Democratic Party saying 170,000 people are dead and Trump was under, that was under his watch, that was under his care, and we kind of made this cause and effect there. That is just as absurd of a claim as the claim that was made several times during the Republican National Convention, including by Donald Trump himself, I saved millions of lives. Okay. I don't believe you killed 180,000 people. I also don't believe you saved millions of lives. I think it's probably somewhere in the middle of that. Yeah, see what I did there? We're always sticking to that theme. So COVID, at the end of the day, to me, is a wash. Now, as we go through this, the Republicans... Uh, tried to do a similar thing that the Democrats did in trying to bring on people from across the aisle to speak, people that changed their minds that maybe weren't support, supporting Trump in 2016, but now after watching him for four years are. Uh, there was a heavy lean on everyday Americans. Uh, night three or night two, the theme was everyday heroes. And basically this mindset of just different people that were given the mic to speak about how they felt about Donald Trump, how a policy that he put into place and how that affected him, trying to have a lot of that personal touch. Uh, there were some powerful speeches given by black Republicans, uh, namely Vernon Jones, uh, a state representative, uh, Tim Scott, a black senator, and... Uh, of course, Ben Carson, but Herschel Walker was the one that a lot of people talked about. Now, what was interesting here is Herschel Walker played the role 
for Trump of the black friend, right? Now we chatted about this in the conversation with Kira, right? Of, oh, I'm not racist. I have a black friend. Do you want me to get him on the phone for you? I'm not racist. To me, that's what this speech with Trump was, or this speech uh, by Herschel Walker about Trump was, was kind of this uh, standing up for him. I'll tell you, it's not the greatest thing in the world when you have to bring someone on to actually say, that guy is not a racist. I hope that I never have to be at a point in my life where I've got to bring someone on to give a speech about how I'm not racist. However you feel, it was a good speech. Herschel Walker made some great points and you probably agreed with it if you were a Republican or gave a big eye roll if you were a Democrat. Now, what I thought was interesting as we rolled through a lot of these speeches is I think Trump did something this week that was out of character for him. And by doing so, how he did that was he took himself out of the spotlight for just a minute. Wherever Trump goes... He is the biggest personality in the world. Think about it. The most powerful man in the world also just happens to have the largest, bigger-than-life, made-for-TV personality out there. It does not matter who you are. You are always going to be in the shadow of Donald Trump. I mean, even Beyonce, Oprah, LeBron James, whoever it might be, you're probably still going to be just a little bit under the larger-than-life mentality that Donald Trump has and brings. And so what I thought was respectful, or uh, that I'll give him some credit for this week, was there were several times where he could have made it about him, where he didn't. For example, on... Oh no, now I'm forgetting. It was Tuesday night that Melania Trump spoke. They gave the speech from the Rose Garden, the newly renovated Rose Garden in the White House, and this was Melania's night as First Lady. She doesn't get the mic very often. She doesn't even like making public appearances very often. But this was her night at the RNC to speak to America. And what I thought was pretty cool, if you watched the optics of how this went down, everyone was seated in the Rose Garden not socially distanced, for those of you keeping track. (laughs) Anyway, Donald Trump walks out and gets his applause. He sits down, takes his seat, and then they play a video that is all about Melania Trump. That's all about her, her accomplishments, what she's done, what she believes, speeches from her. And then after the video is over, Melania Trump walks out to a ovation by the crowd, and what I thought was pretty cool was Donald Trump was sitting on the front row standing to give an ovation for his wife. That, I think, is typically not Donald Trump character. You would expect him to walk out with her and be the one doing this. I don't know what this is. For those of you that are listening to the podcast not seeing, you know when he does the uh, double-fisted, like, fist bump, let's do this? I don't know what it is, but it's as Trump as Trump gets. He's not doing that. He just let Melania have her moment, gave her the ovation. Then he did the same thing the next night with Mike Pence. Now, I told you that they did this road show of sorts, and they leaned hard into the patriotism into the American history, into what makes us who we are. And so in a time where the national anthem, the Star Spangled Banner is at the center of debate, where did Mike Pence give his 
speech. He gives his speech at Fort McHenry, the place where the the Star-Spangled Banner was written. And he gets up and speaks, and Trump wasn't there. If Trump was there, you knew that uh, Pence was going to be in his shadow. But that was Pence's night. Mike Pence gets to speak. He talks about his family. He made a joke that made me laugh. He had his mother there, uh, who is like 90 years old now. I can't remember how old she is. And he made a comment about how he said, sometimes I feel like I'm my mom's second favorite candidate on the Trump-Pence ticket, which I thought was kind of humorous. Uh, But what was cool is at the end of the speech, Donald Trump and Melania make a surprise appearance. People didn't think they were going to be there, but they show up. They come out after the speech. It would have been so easy for Donald Trump to take the mic and start riffing and go into campaign mode, but he didn't. He simply was there to endorse Mike Pence. And then they stood there and Trace Adkins, a country music singer, got up, sung the national anthem at Fort McHenry. It was a really cool moment. Uh, I'm actually going to talk to you later on about the Star Spangled Banner and a similar experience I had at Fort McHenry. It was powerful. And kudos to Trump for realizing that this isn't all about you all the time. Kudos to Trump for realizing that you can let other people be in the spotlight and that actually may help you out a little bit. Now, as we move on and we just ultimately talk about Trump's speech in and of itself, Thursday night, then it's the grand event. I think something that this showcased uh, right before Trump spoke, uh, Ivanka Trump was the speaker right before him basically to introduce her father. And... If you remember back to 2016 in the presidential debates, Trump versus Hillary, there was a question asked in the second presidential debate at the very end. And the host says, Donald, I want you to say one nice thing about Hillary Clinton. And Hillary, I want you to say one nice thing about Donald Trump, to which the crowd laughed because that was the story of that election. Those two were never going to say anything positive about each other. And I loved that they, you know, held their feet to the coals and forced them to do it there. And their responses were pretty telling to me. Uh, Donald Trump, if you remember, said, I respect that Hillary Clinton is a fighter. She doesn't give up. She doesn't back down. She works hard. She's a fighter. And then Hillary Clinton's answer wasn't was kind of her loophole that she found of not really giving a compliment to Trump but doing it in a way and what she said was I respect Donald's children he has great children and a great family and you can give him some credit for that I actually think that's a pretty big compliment to Donald Trump and as you watch the Republican National Convention, you see that. When Ivanka took the stage on Thursday night, it it blew me away. One, I don't think she's, I mean, she is beautiful. I don't think she's ever looked better than she looked Thursday night. So classy, so graceful, so well-spoken, educated, smart, in control. And she laughingly talks about, we all know my dad isn't politically correct. We all know that you know where my dad stands and gave a vision into what Donald Trump is like that maybe everyone else doesn't see. At least that's what she said. And 
I think that Hillary's comment there proved to be true this week and continues to prove to be true. Uh, for the most part, Donald Trump's family is very impressive. Uh, I actually thought a speech that was really good this week that didn't make any of the headlines that maybe you'd want to go watch was Laura Trump's speech. Laura Trump is Eric Trump, uh, the blonde second son, Eric Trump's wife. And she tells her story about how she was raised in North Carolina and after college headed to New York, that she wanted to make it there and went from this Southern family. And she said, never in a million years, but I think that my last name would be Trump and marrying into that family and how she had preconceived notions of what her soon-to-be father-in-law would be like and how much she respects him and the relationship that they have. And that really she found that the Trump family was similar to her family in North Carolina. Like, I think that's an interesting view of imagine being some, you know, Southern North Carolina girl that all of a sudden is dating a Trump and is married to a Trump and all of a sudden is the daughter-in-law of the president, the most powerful man in the world. And I think the other thing that it pointed out to me that she brought up in that speech is Trump's willingness to put women in power positions in his organization. Um, you look at Ivanka, you look at uh, Kaylee McEnany, uh, his press secretary, Kellyanne Conway. I mean, Trump has repeatedly surrounded himself with very sharp, very educated, very professional and efficient women that have gotten the job done. And what Ivanka said and what both Laura said is that the merits that Trump has always looked at his employees or people that he puts in leading leadership positions in his organizations, that the criteria is if you get the job done. And that also means that he's been quick to fire you're fired, right? Like when you're not getting the job done. But I think that speaks to a lot of who he is. Now, the speech itself that Donald Trump gave on Thursday night. Donald, you put on a great show all week long, but you broke the number one rule of being a showman, at least the way I was taught. You always want to leave your crowd wanting more. And Trump did not do that. Trump's speech was 71 minutes long. By contrast, I think Biden's speech a week before was 24 minutes. Wow, that was a long speech. I didn't see the dude take a sip of water the entire time. I can't get through a half hour talking like this without taking water several times. I don't know how he got up there and did that. But speaking for an hour and 10 minutes without any visual aid, without any video or anything like that is just too long. Your attention span is going to be lost. So it's interesting is a lot of the pundits immediately after the speech said, oh, that was boring. It fell flat. I didn't see the speech as boring. I saw it as too long. If the speech was 45 minutes instead of an hour 10, I don't think you would have called it boring. I just think it was the fact that it drug out. And I think part of that was he tried to go through way too much. It almost turned into a State of the Union address. The State of the Union address, they get together and they talk about all the things that have happened in the last year. And that's kind of what he did, but for his entire term. 
he talked through a lot of individual accomplishments, a lot of things that have been done, which are great to hear. I'm not saying that's bad, but it was that plus a campaign speech, plus a here's why you should vote for me, and then plus some major time spent attacking Joe Biden. If you're a part of Donald Trump's base, you probably loved last night, probably got you all riled up. And at the end of the day, that's what these conventions do. They rile up your base to get more fired up to go make that push for the next 60 days or whatever it might be till election day. And I think Trump did that last night. He finished, the fireworks show goes off, and I mean, evidence to Trump's base getting fired up immediately after on Twitter, the trending hashtag was Trump landslide 2020. And if you had not watched a minute of the Democratic convention, which most Republicans probably didn't do, and then if you were in the base of Donald Trump's followers and you watched all of that, you finish Thursday night and you go, there is no way in the world this guy loses. Did you just hear him? Did you just hear that? That guy's going to crush that Joe Biden guy. Now, of course, it's not that simple. The Democrats are going to get their time to fire back. But I will say this. Democratic Party, the strategy of Hyden Biden, the strategy of leaning on, we shouldn't fully run a campaign right now in respect to coronavirus because, you know, we want to just let Trump explode or self-implode. We want to let him say stupid things, make the economy be a mess, and he will lose this election. If that's your thinking right now, it's naive. If you're the Democratic Party right now, I think what this week did for you is it was a wake-up call. Biden, you've got to get out there and campaign. Now, if you want to do it following every social distancing guideline, if you want to do it avoiding any big group gathering or whatever it might be, that's fine. Do it. But you have got to find a way to get people excited. Donald Trump's greatest strength when it comes to campaigning is traveling throughout the country, hosting massive events that get people pumped up. In 2016, he'd fly the Trump plane right over land, come out and speak, rah, rah, that guy's the man. He's doing the same thing with Air Force One now. What's interesting is the Democrats or whatever you want, or just coronavirus in general. That was definitely a biased comment that I just made. Coronavirus in general has taken that ability for, from him away. He can't campaign in the way that he likes to and would be if we weren't in the middle of the coronavirus pandemic. But I will say this, what coronavirus has taught all of us, whether it be at your job or whatever it might be, is it's time to get creative. You've got to think and do things differently than you ever had before, but you still have to get the job done. You still have to be effective. Coronavirus hits and you don't just stay home from work and not do anything. You have to learn how to work from home. So Biden and the Democratic camp, you better figure it out. You don't have very long. And you argue, this is, both sides argue, democracy's at stake. 
that Donald Trump winning is the worst thing that could ever happen for the country. If that's what you believe, then you better get to work. That's my personal opinion there. It will be very, very interesting to see how these next couple months go. I am so excited for the debates. So excited to see Joe Biden and Donald Trump look each other in the eyes and actually talk. That's what we want to see. I want to see if Joe Biden can go toe-to-toe with Donald. He has to prove that. Joe, if you can prove that, you've got a chance. But if you don't, if you run away, if the debates don't happen, if you try to avoid what's happening and try to blame it on different things, you can get creative. These debates need to happen. And America needs to see you make the case against Donald Trump, but more importantly, for you and for your policies. So that's me. Now, do I have a little bit of the bias of I just watched Donald Trump speak last night and it's been a week since the Democratic National Convention? Yes, that's the advantage of going second. But that's the world we're in. So I'm really curious to see what happens the next little bit. There's my reaction to the last couple weeks. Uh, We've got some fun episodes coming up for you that aren't going to be as politically driven. But we are going to talk quite a bit about politics in the election, at least for the next 60-something days. But just so you know as well, Millennial in the Middle is not going anywhere after the election is over. This isn't solely a political podcast. We are in the middle of life, trying to navigate our way through and ultimately just trying to become more reasonable, more understanding, more informed, more educated, more involved human beings. And I hope you always feel that way after finishing one of these episodes. As always, thanks for listening. Clowns to the left me, jokers to the right. Here I am stuck in the middle with you. We'll see you next time, guys.